This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League Fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan, and tonight, unfortunately, Ethan is working late, so we are joined by a two-time runner-up in our league, a long-storied member of our league, and a guy that we've been trying to get on the podcast for at least the last two seasons, Derek Phillippe. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming. So first time guest host, what is it that you love about dynasty football and fantasy football? Fantasy football in general is uh, kind of keeps me in the games on Thursdays, Sundays, Mondays. But dynasty, it's a whole, it's a whole uh, different mindset. And I know it's been talked about a couple times on the show, but it's it's forever changing, and I think it's becoming more and more popular because it's. Uh, in my opinion, it's just something that you you have to think about the future, and uh, and it's more than just the redraft league. So I, I enjoy it a lot. If I look at it, I think that, and I don't mean to offend anybody with this, but I'm sure I will if this gets even more than 10 people to listen to it. But I think that redraft is for be- beginners or office leagues, people that don't necessarily know how they're playing it's the one that's for generalists, the thing that you can play every year down in, down out. But Dynasty or Eliminator Leagues or some of these ones with special rules really are the ones for the people that need an additional challenge, that are the more experienced players, the ones who constantly are talking about fantasy football that are part of the community, that are constantly listening to shows, participating in their own shows, doing research, all of that. And so I just find it's on a different plane. It's probably the second most accessible by comparison, but it's just another grade of football because instead of redraft, where all of your decisions can be undone by next season, now your decisions last that much longer. Yeah, I would agree. And it it definitely takes... You know, there's a lot more work that goes into a dynasty league. I mean, redraft leagues, anybody can do it. Anybody can look at what they did last year and base your draft the following year on what they did or what their projections are. Different when those guys aren't getting redrafted and you have to look at the guys that haven't proven themselves yet in the league. So you're taking chances on pretty much on every pick. doesn't matter if it's the first pick in the draft or if it's the seventh round in the draft. I mean, you literally – can hit on any guy and it just takes that much more research and work to put into it. Absolutely. And I don't need to belabor belabor the point. I repeat myself a lot on this podcast, but if you want to know our introduction to fantasy football, why we love dynasty fantasy football or the 10 commandments of dynasty football, those are both available in our preseason work. But This is supposed to be the recap for week four, a week I would determine is probably the most topsy-turvy of the NFL season so far. I guess we're recording this at 7.21 p.m., so right about the time that Monday Night Football would be happening on October 4th, 2021. But, so we can extend and go back to Thursday Night Football. We don't have the benefit of watching the Raiders-Chargers game that's going on just about right now. We'll talk about that on Thursday's preview pod, but 
what were some of your biggest surprises out of week four right now? I I didn't get to watch a whole lot of football this weekend. I worked all weekend, but the games that I did watch, obviously one of the ones that stood out to me is Zach Wilson and the Jets finally getting a win against a Titans team that I felt like their running game is pretty dominant and they have a they have a lot of talent on that football team. They're young on the defensive side, but Jets kind of proven themselves a little bit and finally maybe turning a leaf a little bit in the Zach Wilson era. Well, we've known pretty much how badly, especially after last weekend, how much the press was on how badly these uh, rookie quarterbacks were playing. We'd seen at least four of them. Justin Fields had an absolutely horrible day, probably one of the worst starts in in rookie history. I think he was sacked, what, eight, nine times? Something to that, if my memory serves. But yet, he goes out and he wins yesterday against a Lions team that I actually picked to win that game as the upset because the Lions have been playing better. And really, Chicago pretty much dominated the Lions at home for most of that football game, with the exception that the Lions were able to move the ball fairly easily. They just couldn't finish drives in the red zone. I think they had or set the record, tied the record for most consecutive drives to start a game with three into the red zone that didn't end in any points, which is, that's so Detroit. But uh, the Jets go out and they get a win. Mac Jones almost gets a win on Sunday night football against Tom Brady. Uh, Trey Lance put into mop-up duty in the second half, has a decent enough game aided by one really long pass, but leads two touchdown drives in the second half once he kind of gets his feet under him a little bit. And Trevor Lawrence really could have won the game on Thursday night football against Joe Burrow. So as bad as they looked all last week, the rookie quarterbacks is something that I would say stood out for me, at least in just the general watching of football all weekend. I I 100% agree. Yeah, I can't argue with that at all. So other big surprises for me uh, coming into tonight's game, we had five tight ends finish at the top of their position, and we'll go through the top tens here in a little bit, but I'll give you the top five. It would be Yuzama or Yuzama, CJ I think it is from uh, the Bengals from the other night, Dawson Knox, uh, Mo Ali Cox, Max Williams, and Dalton Schultz finished the top five at tight ends, and all of them are currently rostered in less than 50% of leagues in Yahoo right now. Yeah. I mean, CJ Uzama, he had a he had a pretty big year last year as well. So, I mean, he's not a huge surprise to me. But some of those other guys definitely surprised me a bit. Obviously, the Max Williams one is with the amount of talent and um, targets on that team for him to, to do well. I mean, that's awesome. But – I definitely think definitely intriguing when you think about the tight end realm of the world and some of the top tight ends in that league in the league. So it's definitely interesting. Well, given that TJ Hawkinson was drafted very early to be a primary tight end and put up two good weeks to start the year, but has since dropped off. And Travis Kelsey's pretty much put up great points every week, but Darren Waller had a great week one, dropped off. What was it? Uh, George Kittle had an okay week last week on Sunday Night Football against the Green Bay Packers, but really hasn't put together great seasons. So even at the elite ranks, with the exception of Travis Kelsey, who I would say still 
could be considered the number one overall pick or the fantasy MVP for the last maybe two, three years, just because of the consistency with which he plays out of that position and gives you such an extra added bonus. I don't know if you can reliably predict what a tight end position is going to do from week to week right now. And that's pretty much evidence right here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all been talking, I mean, the Mike Gusecki, where he's just literally, he plummeted and now he's slowly starting to come back a little bit and get some targets with Jacoby Brissett there. But yeah, aside from Kelsey right now, and thankfully I own him in quite a few leagues and I, and I'm pretty fortunate for that because man, I don't know what I would do right now at the tight end position. Yeah. And there's a reason why I was so high on drafting him as early. Honestly, I probably think I had him listed at number five in most redraft rankings going into the season. And I might've been too low uh, at number five. I would agree. I, I think actually in one of my redrafts, I took him at four. That that matchup, winning that matchup pretty much every week, the tight end is, I think, a game changer. I mean, if you got a guy like Kelsey that gets the amount of targets and catches and touchdowns that he does in that offense, definitely can swing a fantasy matchup in a hurry. Well, and the other part of it is, is that of the four guys that were taken, I think, to start drafts, Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, who's currently out, but was producing – Delvin Cook, who has been producing but has missed at least one week and had a down week this week against really what I thought was a surprising Browns defense to really shut down a Minnesota offense that had been really humming for the first three weeks of the season. And then Alvin Kamara, who at least through the last two weeks has gotten a lot of uh, yardage on the ground, but he got zero targets this week. He's barely getting targeted at all in the passing game, which is not what we're used to seeing. I would say that Derrick Henry is uh, by far the number one overall fantasy back, and that's not close because just on a points basis, sure, but his also consistency level. After that, it's been kind of up and down, hit or miss, week to week basis. You could make an argument that the number one overall pick should have been Derrick Henry for weird reasons that I will not understand because at age 28, he should not be able to take 30 plus carries a game and just keep chugging away. And then it should have been Travis Kelsey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, aside from, I mean, even with Derrick Henry, you can argue, I mean, he had a pretty down week one. At one point in that game in week one, I remember back, I was watching that. He had like four carries for five yards. I mean, he was getting stuffed. And that guy, you look at him now and he can't be stopped for less than five yards. So, And that was against a really surprising Arizona team at the time that we, I think I picked the Titans to win that game at home against Arizona. And Arizona just blew them out. And I don't know if what we saw yesterday out of Arizona was indicative, but I really was not expecting them to go into Los Angeles and beat down on the Rams. Yeah, you know, with that Cardinals team, their complete question mark is their defense, and they have shown up big in some of these weeks. I mean, obviously we expect that offense to produce high points. With Kyler Murray at quarterback, the things that that guy can do, I mean, he's special. And then you have all the targets in the world to throw to, and A.J. Green, even at his age, still producing really well. You know, D-Hop, that, that team's loaded with talent. It's just a matter of if that, for lack of better terms, I mean, aging defense, they don't have a lot of young guys on that defense. They got a little younger trading away Pat P, but and, and they've produced, and they've shown they can stay with the big guys, and that's why I've, 
I definitely am. I'm a believer in them for that that very very tough division this year. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the other big surprises I had, if we're going to stay on the running back position, was just how well Saquon Barkley played yesterday. Yes, he was stuffed a lot in the run, and that was to be expected going against a really tough Saints rushing defense, but he at least held his own in the rushing game. But he was at least a targeted receiver in the passing game yet again. He was an effective target for Daniel Jones, who right now is the number five quarterback overall for points. And on top of it, he ended up having the game-winning play on a long touchdown pass down the seam. I mean, he looks like he's back to his old self. And and I do mention him a little bit later with uh, a different part of this segment, but or segment in the show. But yeah, absolutely. And for any Saquon Barkley owner, I mean, obviously, again, he was drafted pretty high. The start of this year was a little bit worrisome uh, um, as far as hit what he was going to do this year. And to see him finally back, yeah, again, not not all that much rushing production, but to see him get the 126 total yards and two touchdowns and the game-winning touchdown, I mean, you got to be happy as a Saquon owner at this point. Well, especially because I think the majority of uh, football formats are PPR value or at least half PPR value. I'd rather a guy be almost Najee Harris last week that had 100 receiving yards and 19 targets, 14 catches, than to be able to rack up huge yardage on the ground. It's been one of the few drawbacks to Derrick Henry through the years was he just didn't get the production in the passing game. And that's why I would be worried about guys like Alvin Kamara, who didn't have a single target in the passing game, but is starting to get over 25 carries a game right now. Great for the rushing yardage, great that he's the goal line guy, and he's still going to get his, but it does give you some pause as to what his ceiling could be compared to what we've seen in recent years. Absolutely. I mean, it's no secret that Kamara has been drafted so high in PPR leagues for a reason. I mean, the the amount of catches and targets that guy gets out of the backfield, that's what makes him different and special um, as a running back. And to see him starting to get pretty much no targets and get all these carries. Yeah, carries are great, but they don't help out in PPR very much. The last big surprise, I would guess, and I think we're going to get this to the test next week because I think Sunday night football next week is Kansas City hosting the Buffalo Bills, but just how much after that week one where they had that weird loss against the Steelers and they looked kind of out of sync, their offense just wasn't going well, that the Buffalo Bills have basically just drubbed whoever they have played for the last three weeks, whether it was Washington, whether it was uh, the Dolphins in week two, or yesterday putting up a 40-burger to nothing against the Houston Texans. I know Davis Mills was starting, but are the Bills the best in the NFL right now? You definitely can argue that. You know, obviously, again, you look past that week one game where I think everyone's talked about. I mean, week one, I think, was rough for just about everybody with the lack of preseason snaps and everything else. They've definitely looked like the best all-around team. My only concern with the Buffalo Bills, aside from the last two weeks, their primary rusher has been Josh Allen. You know, they've Zach Moss is kind of starting to show, and so is Singletary. They're starting to get some carries and some touches in production, but they also haven't – I mean, you look at the Texans, their defense isn't to speak of. So 
that's my only question mark with them. It would be their running game and how it can carry over into the playoffs and that kind of thing. I really don't have a concern that they're going to be able to put up points against Kansas City next week. Kansas City's defense is suspect at best. And I know that they're going to have a good game plan. My biggest concern for that game would be if Kansas City can score on what has been a better than last year Buffalo defense that might have even returned at times to what we saw two, three years ago when they were one of the better defenses in the NFL. They just couldn't get it going from an offensive standpoint. Yeah, they def- they definitely have a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball. The ball hawk guys like Tredavious White and those kind of guys and Jordan Poyer and uh, what is it, Matthew Milano, Matt Milano? I believe so, yeah. That team, that defense looks good, and I think as far as the Chiefs games goes, it's going to be a shootout. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game because Andy Reid's going to have a great game plan to score even against that good defense. So it should be a fun one to watch, though. I think it's a statement game for Buffalo. I I really would put my money on them if I put any money on the game, which I can't. Thank you, Wisconsin. But, I mean – I just, the way Buffalo's been playing compared to Kansas City having to just get these explosive plays all the time in order to win football games. Maybe you could say Buffalo hasn't played anybody and Kansas City has, but Kansas City has looked the worst of the two teams. And yeah, they're going to be at home, but I don't have particular confidence right now that Kansas City can just simply score on anybody any way they wish and expect to win in the way we have seen it over the past two, three years. So let's segue just quickly into our top tens for the week. At number one at the quarterback position, this is going from one to ten. We had Daniel Jones finishes the number one quarterback this week. Sam Darnold as number two. Pat Mahomes as number three. Jalen Hurts as number four. Matt Ryan, five. Taylor Heineke, six. Dak Prescott, seven. Joe Burrow, 8, Lamar Jackson, 9, and Kyler Murray, 10. Any of these names stick out to you? Well, I think the obvious one is to me is Daniel Jones. I mean, we've been we've been kind of waiting to see if this guy was actually going to be ever for real. Um, I, I don't think it's a lack of talent. I, I think it's a lack of talent around him, but I guess only time will tell. I mean, one week. I can't, I'm not going to count on him now, but he's definitely a surprise to me. I think play calling is part of it. Health has been another. He has been consistently inconsistent in his health report, but you look at the guys that have been surrounding him. Sterling Shepard now missed the game yesterday, and we also had uh, Kadarius Toney missed a ton of time in the preseason. He missed uh, early portions of this season. Kenny Galladay has been on the injury report on and off. Going back previous seasons, Golden Tate was on and off the IR. I mean, Saquon Barkley missing the better parts of two years. Evan Engram can never stay on the field. They're just so beat up all the time. But right now, I mean, we had a really good game out of Kenny Galladay yesterday. We had a really good game out of Saquon Barkley. Basically, since that Thursday night game against Washington in week two, they've kind of looked the part. And there's a reason that Daniel Jones is the number five overall scoring quarterback right now, because he adds just enough element with his legs to keep his floor a little bit higher but his passing game has to be prolific because their defense just can't stop anybody. And so they're having to stay into games, and I think he's worth a flyer at this point. I mean, we've seen it for three weeks, and guess what division he plays in? 
He's going to play the Eagles twice. He's going to play the Washington team at least one more time. He's going to play Dallas twice, including this week. The ability to throw the football, even though I guarantee he's going to throw at least one pick to Trayvon Diggs, because apparently every quarterback has to, he's going to score points. And you know that they're going to in order to have to stay in games. Yeah, I definitely agree. It'll uh, it'll be interesting, but you know, it's even some of those deeper leagues taking a flyer on him, even if you're not comfortable starting him yet, at least stash him because so far he's the number five scoring quarterback for a reason at this point. So the one that sticks out to me is Sam Darnold, just because it's Sam Darnold. For as bad as he was with the Jets, he's looked that much better as a poised quarterback who at least was fleet of foot. He's got five rushing touchdowns on the season so far. And we'll get to that here in a second, but uh, gosh, that Carolina offense under some different management really looks uh, effective and lethal. And I thought for a while that they were going to really pound on the Cowboys after about the first quarter, quarter and a half. And then the Cowboys started to take it to them. So you could say that maybe Dallas is a little bit more effective, but he's been a surprise so far this season for me. And and it's exciting to me because honestly, I felt so bad for Sam Donald in the situation that he went to. A uh, guy with that much talent, and obviously it's expected in this league. You, you come in as a top talent, you're going to go to some of the worst teams. And I, I just feel like Adam Gase is just – he kills every quarterback or offense in general. I don't know the last quarterback that he had that was any good. Well, Ryan Tannehill left and went and became something. I mean, exactly. The amount of people that have left Adam Gase and actually become viable offensive players is is numerous. I can't disagree there. Top 10 running backs of this week. Cordero Patterson, or Corderell Patterson. Uh, Saquon Barkley, number two. Derrick Henry, three. A mainstay in the top three at this point. Uh, David Montgomery, four. Ezekiel Elliott, five. Jonathan Taylor, six. CEH, seven. James Robinson, 8. James Conner, 9. Chase Edmonds, 10. Any of those stick out to you? The, the only one that I could I would say kind of stick out, I guess, is going to be a two-for-one, is the combination of Conner and Chase Edmonds. Obviously, we know Chase Edmonds. He proved it last year, and he's proven it again this year. The guy's going to get targets out of the backfield. He's going to make plays. James Conner is obviously still talented, too, but for the getting two backs in the top 10 for a team that is not all run heavy. Uh, they run the spread and, and throw the ball with Kyler Murray is impressive to me. For me, it's Cordero Patterson or Corderell. I, again, I, I'll have to pronounce that both ways all season now. Thank you. But I think I saw a stat tonight. If Derrick Henry was not the number one back and had that 50 point game against the Seahawks and, put up another 150 yards on the ground yesterday. Basically, if you take him out of the equation, Cordero Patterson would be leading the NFL in fantasy points from the running back position by nine points. That kind of makes you go, hmm. But uh, those wide receiver converted to running backs, and he's always had talent. He's, as a kick returner, punt returner, kind of that gadget guy, he's had talent. It's just uh, I wouldn't have expected it. Let's just say that. No, I drafted Mike Davis. Thankfully, I went and go, picked him up in the same league, but uh, I both won and lost a game based on Court Harold Patterson's output yesterday. And it's in a really efficient effort. Like, he's not getting a lot of touches, 
but he's putting up points every week because he just touches the ball in such an efficient manner and just enough to be relevant. I don't know if this continues. This may be one of the classic sell-high times ever for Cordero Patterson, but right now, through four weeks, the output's been there. Well, I, I think I saw the stat What he had, like, six or seven targets. He had three touchdowns. I mean, <laughs> I mean that that's pretty good efficiency. I'll tell you, I'm not running to a waiver wire or trying to trade for him. I, I'm not sold on it, but through four weeks, it's definitely something for now. So I think he had eight overall catches and three touchdowns. Would you take that efficiency or Patrick Mahomes completing only 24 passes, but five of them were for touchdowns? Yeah, I, I still think I'm going to take the Patterson one. It's a little bit more uh, impressive to me. <laughs> I, just some of the efficiency in this league on a week-to-week basis. Holy shit. Uh, wide receiver Tyreek Hill finishes the number one overall wide receiver again. Not really that shocking when he has three touchdowns, but Debo Samuel, the number two. Cordero Patterson was the number three wide receiver. Just, just think about that. DJ Moore, number four. McLaurin, number five. Corey Davis, number six. Deontay Johnson, number seven. Randall Cobb, a new sighting yet again, number eight. Hollywood Brown, number nine, and Tyler Boyd, number 10. Any of these stick out to you? Well, I'm going to be a little bit of a homer here on this uh, show. DJ Moore. I'm going to say actually Randall Cobb. Oh, you went with the actual home team instead of your fantasy. The actual home team. I am so – I'm elated about the the Cobb situation. Actually, for the first three weeks of this season – I sat and wondered numerous times why this guy was not more involved in the offense. He's always been an efficient guy for us, a big, big third down guy working in the middle of the field. He proved that this last week that he still has it. He's still talented, still can make plays. And actually, I actually picked him up in a couple leagues after I saw MVS go down because I I figured this was his opportunity and, and he proved it and I'm happy. I said, or I think I was on the phone with my dad yesterday, and I think I said, in our league, the number one waiver wire ad is going to end up being Randall Cobb, that like there will be nine claims for him or something like that out of the ten of us. Uh, I might be the lone withholder, but I would say if there's one thing to be encouraged about by Cobb's performance yesterday, it's that when Adams was double double covered throughout most of that game, and the Pittsburgh defense is pretty good, but Cobb seemed to be the third down outlet almost every single time. Yep, and that's my exact point is when Rodgers is consistently going away from Adams, whether it be him double teamed or not, and, and relying on Cobb to pick up those big third downs when needed, it definitely proves that they still have a very, very good friendship and chemistry. And we all know when they have that kind of chemistry, it kind of carries over to the football field and it definitely proved it this last week. So, I don't know if any of these names, uh, with the exception of just how many of these guys we've already talked about early in the season, just generally that we've had so many weird wide receiver combinations, kind of come out of these middle tier of wide receivers and, again, prove the depth that was at wide receiver. Not necessarily the elite, like Tyreek Hill being at the number one. We knew that was going to happen at some point. Devontae Adams having a huge week last week. We expect that they were the top two drafted wide receivers for a reason. But it's the consistent 
top 10 value that we are getting out of Debo Samuel, out of DJ Moore, out of Terry McLaurin, out of Deontay Johnson, you know, even out of really Hollywood Brown to this point, and probably would have been all four weeks had he not had like three critical drops in that Lions game. The amount of guys that went in the mid-tier rounds that have become wide receivers ones, Tyler Lockett, Cooper Cup, that I would say if we redrafted today would probably go in the top 10 of wide receivers has been a lot to this point in the season. Yeah, I mean, you know, the top of the draft in any draft that you do is somewhat important, but I always say you win and lose drafts or you win and lose fantasy leagues based on your middle round guys because if you don't hit on those guys, it's probably going to be a rough season. All right, so tight end we already discussed a little bit, but just to recap around the first five, C.J. Uzoma, Uzama, excuse me, Dawson Knox, number two, Bo Alley-Cox, number three, Max Williams, number four, Dalton Schultz, five, Mike Gusecki, six, Dallas Goddard, seven, Noah Fant, eight, Hunter Henry, nine, and Mark Andrews, ten. Out of any of these, I guess, do we just skip the, because I think all of these are notable for the sake that, to this point, none of them have been ranked inside our top five, maybe with the exception of Mark Andrews. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can, like you said, you can kind of go through this whole list and say why you feel like either one of them is a surprise. I mean, so I don't think it's worth that. So let's get to the good, the bad, and the ugly. For me, my good of the week, Tyreek Hill just exploding again. The Chiefs offense is so much different when he is at his best and his peak and catching long touchdowns. But 11 catches, 189 yards, and three touchdowns. He's had two huge weeks. He's had two minor weeks. Again, it's no surprise that when the Chiefs are playing well, he is doing well. No, absolutely. I I can't disagree with that at all. Uh, for, for my good, I actually, we kind of talked about it earlier here, is uh, Saquon getting back. Yeah, I know it's only one week, but... You know, for Saquon owners that have drafted him that high, you know, and we're counting on him to finally see him pull through and produce like he did this week, definitely a good thing, I think. Absolutely. And, again, he he looks fluid. He looks electric. And maybe back to the all-star player that we had thought of two, three years ago. Um, For my bad, I know this is – going to the game that I probably paid the most attention to because it's my team. I make no secret on here. Basically, everybody that comes on this show is a Packers fan. But Ben Roethlisberger, I really don't want to pile on, but he missed some just critical throws in that game that could have kept the Steelers in that game. And how many times on third or fourth down he threw it two or three yards short of the sticks? I just don't understand what the Steelers are doing because they have a really talented team, same for their offensive line. But Najee Harris, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, even Fryermuth is catching passes and looking pretty good. And that defense is better than they've been able to play. They've just been on the field so much. I don't really know why there was no succession plan for a franchise that seems to plan very well. But I just don't want to bury the guy because I know a lot of people hate Ben Roethlisberger and for good reason, frankly. But... For a guy that's meant so much to that franchise for 15, 16 years at this point, I, I just don't understand why we're doing him dirty as a franchise like this. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, it's very evident the guy can't – you get any kind of pressure on that guy, and uh, 
chances are he's missing the throw. He has no mobility anymore. Not that he ever had like crazy mobility, but he at least could move around in the pocket and, and make a throw. It's very evident that he does not take care of his body. He's not. He's never going to be a Tom Brady, you know, as far as his body goes. I mean, he should have retired two years ago. Just saying. Yeah, after that elbow injury, I, I just don't know. I, I, I think it's going to be painful to watch the Steelers this year. From a fantasy standpoint, there's still enough guys that are going to produce for you, but just watching their games in total, I'd hate to be a Steelers fan right now because it just looks ugly. Especially when you have the defense, you know, and the TJ Watts of the world, and you should be winning more games than that, that's for sure. You're bad, sir. Well, my bad, it it not only showed its head this week, but it's shown its head a couple times already this year and in previous years is the Titans kicking game. My gosh, they can they they cannot figure this out. You go and get it, you know, you sign a guy in free agency this year, he gets hurt. You go pick up another guy, he misses some critical kicks in a game that you he shouldn't have missed. And then you get Bullock and he looked good last week and you're like, "Okay, maybe maybe they solved their problems." Game on the line, just can't make it. I mean, I for a good Titans team, you know, I get that they didn't play overly well in in this jet, in this Jets game, but my gosh, you have a chance to at least tie the game again, and he uh, can't hit it. So I just I feel bad for Titans fans. I'll tell you that the Titans, the Chargers, uh, used to be the Bears with the double doink. There are just some franchises that are cursed for kickers. the Vikings, and right now it is just awful for the Titans. Yeah, the Vikings already missed a game-winning kick earlier this year. Also, as a Packers fan, one of the most glorious things to listen to Paul Allen lose a game at the last second. Amen to that. Uh, My ugly for the week, the Denver offense. Only 15 first downs and 254 yards total. I know they hadn't played anybody up to this point, but golly, I didn't think the Ravens would take it to him that badly. And Teddy Bridgewater knocked out after the first half. Sounds like he's going to miss at least next week, if not more than that. I just don't know if this is uh, this offense is going to be fantasy viable coming up. Yeah, it's gonna it's kind of rough. Any any owners of any uh, offensive player on that team right now, and I unfortunately am one of them. And Jerry Judy, he got hurt obviously early on, and I, I don't know now without Bridgewater, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, I I just they they looked really pedestrian yesterday after about the first scoring drive. Your ugly of the week, sir. Uh, my ugly, I feel a little bit bad saying this one, just because I get it, you know, young quarterback playing. But that Texans offense, I mean, come on. We are in the NFL, correct? I mean, the fact that they had 109 total yards, five turnovers, and only six first downs in the entire game, I get they're playing a good Bills team. I get that. But, my gosh, this is the NFL, and they look terrible I think it's going to end up being if Tyrod Taylor ends up missing more time the Lions and the Texans are going to be exactly who we thought they were I thought the Lions might be a little bit peskier but they just showed almost no fight last or yesterday excuse me after they lost on that 66 yard field goal that set the record the week before we have no idea on any given Sunday which Lions team is going to show up but we know almost at this point if Davis Mills is starting, what we're going to get from the Texans. Yeah, nothing. (laughs) 
All right, something or nothing. Let's go to a few just general ones, but let's start off with what might be an easy one. Corderell Patterson. I, I think it's something for now. I don't know how long it might last, but, I mean, Matt Ryan is definitely not the quarterback he once was. That offense still has a lot of question marks, and uh, I think there's actually another Falcons player, if I recall correctly, in this uh, segment as well, so we won't touch on that. But he's a, he's got he's got to check the ball down. Their offensive line isn't great, so the pressure's on him. And uh, I think for PPR fantasy, fantasy players, he's something for now. Yeah, I think it's something to the extent of this is what we expected out of maybe not quite the passing game explosiveness out of Mike Davis, but who else is supposed to be the primary back? I know Mike Davis was on the field for the majority of the snaps, the majority of the carries, but his efficiency was terrible. And that Falcons offensive line is dreadful, which also begs the question of why you selected a tight end instead of taking a potential generational tackle as your fourth overall pick, especially if you still haven't given more than like six targets to Kyle Pitts in a game. But I digress. Regardless, I I think it's something up into the point that it's not something anymore. It's too many weeks. It's too much production. It's too much efficiency not to be something. And the Falcons are going to have a good schedule. I know they're going to eventually have to play Tampa again. They've got the Saints twice. But these aren't defenses that haven't given up points against other guys so far. So I, I do think it's going to be something. Yeah, and I mean, they're, they're going to have to throw the ball, and, and Cordell Patterson's going to get his targets, and he's going to get catches. And if he stays this efficient, I mean, like I said, definitely something for now, but I'm not rushing to grab him or try to trade for him, that's for sure. Something or nothing, DJ Moore as a dominant wide receiver one. I, I obviously will say something 100%. He's always been a talented first-round guy, drafted in the first round, He's been targeted already 43 times this year um, with 30 catches. So somebody's got to catch the ball. And uh, Robbie Anderson sure as heck hasn't showed up. So I'm excited about it. I think it's something. I would say it's something. And you know who else would say it was something? Ethan. I rarely betrayed my confidences on this show. But Ethan has said at least to one other member of our league in a group chat that we're all a part of, that uh, he really kind of regrets at this point, despite the fact he got Devontae Adams out of the trade and essentially Austin Eckler, but that uh, he had to trade away or DJ Moore because he's enamored with that guy at this point. And his target share is enormous for that offense. With Sam Darnold playing well, with that entire Carolina offense humming, even without Christian McCaffrey. And yeah, I know they lost yesterday and they had their time, but they still put up some garbage time points. Robert or DJ Moore looks like he's going to be a dominant wide receiver one for the rest of the season, much like some of these other guys have looked like they're we're going to dominate their respective target shares on their team so far. Uh, I expect this to continue. Yeah, and I don't want to rub it into uh, your your everyday co-host, but I am I'm definitely happy the way this trade has worked out for me, and uh, got a much younger guy as proven to be a good number one guy. Dawson Knox with four touchdowns in four weeks, something or nothing. I say nothing at this point. Um, That offense, you know, he's going to get some targets. He's going to get it. But as like a fantasy player, I I think he's certainly too touchdown dependent. 
as a fantasy guy, and we know how those can work out. You can hope, you can hope all you want, but it's not going to continue all year. Uh, I look at Dawson Knox the same way I looked at Robert Tanyan last year. He's going to get a lot of opportunities. He's going to have to be efficient, and he's going to have to get in the end zone. But past the first five tight ends, realistically, what else do you got? I mean, this is a guy who, if you need somebody to fall in the end zone, is probably more likely than most because of that offense and that quarterback. I say it's something. Dalton Schultz had another big game for the Cowboys, something or nothing that he becomes the dominant tight end in Dallas and a top 10 play week in, week out. I think it's something. Last year, you know, I mean, he kind of started showing and showing up. He had, I believe, like 63 receptions last year, um, even without Dak Prescott. My only concern, there's just a lot of mouths to feed in that offense, and I don't know that I can be – 100% 100% confident in starting the guy, but if you need if you need a fill-in guy in a bye week, I definitely would be okay starting him at this point. I think he's uh, he's got talent and he gets his targets. He's right around right now the startable range for me, about 10, 9, 8, somewhere in that vicinity on a given week. And part of it has to do with the personnel that the Cowboys are lining up in. As long as Michael Gallup has basically been out, they're running in – heavy personnel, usually two tight end sets with both wide receivers. And the bigger part to me is, is for the last two weeks, yeah, they've been playing uh, the Panthers who have a good pass defense. And for that matter, a talented Eagles team, which had at least defensively been okay to this point, particularly on the ground, but they really have not gone to their wide receivers for the last two weeks at all. I think that gives me more pause than anything else. What was it? C.D. Lamb combined for like 79 yards the last two weeks. And that's going to be a question coming up. But that more than anything else concerns me. So if he's going to be on the field and he's going to be effective, Dak Prescott's a good enough quarterback that he's got to throw somebody the ball and he's going to score touchdowns. So again, I would say it's in the same category as Dawson Knox. Good offense, productive tight end who's going to be on the field and is going to be in the red zone. I think it's something because after the top five tight ends, you might as well take a flyer and who better than to uh, take a flyer on this guy who very well could fall in the end zone. Agreed. All right. Then we have Mike Gusecki. Uh, another big targeted week. I don't think he found the end zone in this yeah, one, he but he's now gotten multiple. I think he's gotten at least seven targets the last three weeks, something or nothing. <laughs> you know, he got dropped in our league in our dynasty league and one of my weak positions has been tight end. I've been okay with Higby right now, but I definitely picked him up because I think he's still got all the talent in the world. And if those targets go up, you know, he's on the field. Jacoby Brissett clearly in the game has targeted him a lot and to approved, you know, last year that he, he relies on him and he likes him. So I definitely think it's something as of now, but we'll see how it goes going forward. I think Brissett is much more willing to throw to tight ends, and that's where his increases come since Brissett's been in the game. And he's a professional starter. Like, he's not a Davis Mills type that you just have a fill-in quarterback. He's been around the block. He can be a capable starter that can occasionally win you a game. He's not a great starter, and that's why the Dolphins are probably going to end up drafting in the top 10 this year. Regardless of that, when Tua comes back, I just don't know because I, I don't know if two is the finished product. And as long as two is starting, 
Gasecki hasn't been nearly as involved as when Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback or in this matter, Jacoby Brissett. So I'd like to see it when Brissett is not the primary quarterback, because I think at about week six is the Dolphins buy. And that's about the time we would expect that uh, Tua would probably come back from his injury, but give me that after the fact. But for right now, probably something as long as Brissett is the starter. Debo Samuel dominating all of the San Francisco targets. Something or nothing? I think it's another classic something for now. Um, He's always kind of been a gadget guy. However, even still with him dominating the targets like he is, I mean, Kittle's still getting his. I I would like to think and hope, especially for you, Tom, that Ayuk uh, starts to be a little bit more productive. I mean, I think I looked, Kittle has like 30 targets still in this year. So there's a lot of talent there, but it'll be it'll be interesting now with Jimmy G hurt to kind of see what happens. So this is an offense that I think can really produce because they've got one of the best fantasy schedules down the stretch like Denver, and I've talked about that a lot on the show. But I'm curious who's going to be their starter next week. Jimmy G went out at halftime. Apparently he got rolled up on or stepped on or something in the first drive. He had a calf injury, came out at halftime, and Trey Lance wasn't great. He wasn't particularly effective, but he did roll up almost 25 points in just one half. Part of that was based on rushing, which we know he's going to be. But in a Shanahan offense, if he has to be the starter next week, I'm really curious to see what game plan they're going to draw up because Shanahan's been one of the credited, gifted savants of offensive football for years, along with the Sean McVays and the, you know, basically everybody out of the same tree. But are we going to get an effective Trey Lance right off the bat? Probably not. But can we get a fantasy relevant one? Because George Kittle had nine targets last week. He had 11 this week. And he's getting the targets. He's just not on the same page. He only had four catches for 40 yards. That was with Jimmy G still in the game. We didn't have a single catch after halftime for Kittle. And as you said, Ayuk is too talented a wide receiver. He did so much last year. I don't know what the hell has happened in that San Francisco offense. If it's just that they can only feature one receiver at a time. But for me right now, it just looks like he's not going to be a capable starter. That being said, if Trey Lance comes in, he's at all effective and he opens up the offense, they can start throwing the football all around the yard. Of course, you want to pair that with a young stud wide receiver. Yeah, Debo's probably going to be their number one still going forward and Kittle's there, but I don't think it's time to jump off the bandwagon quite yet. So I don't know. I don't know what this offense is going to be. Right now you have to say it's Debo, 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 and you keep playing him and expecting him to be a wide receiver one, but he's a guy with an injury history and he used to be a gadget guy. I don't know if that's going to hold as him being a dominant wide receiver one, but it has been to this point. So you just keep going with it. Don't fix what ain't broken. Amen. CEH resurgence, something or nothing. Uh, Definitely something. I think he's had, he's had some very inconsistencies in his production, but that he's a, perfect fit in that offense and with his skill I definitely think I can continue to see it the only the only problem is in that high high octane offense is you're not going to really see a whole lot of running the ball it's going to be his production catching the ball 
So with the amount of, again, the amount of mouths to feed in that offense, we'll see going forward. But I, I, I definitely think it's something. I think it's something only because I think we're starting to get some of the talent we thought we saw last year. Again, he was hurt. He was in a rookie year. They didn't really do a whole lot with him because, frankly, who needed to beyond throwing to Kelsey, throwing to Kelsey, throwing to Hill, throwing to Hill, throwing to Kelsey, and that was how you marched up and down the field every single week. But now they've had to vary their attack in the last few weeks, and he's gotten a lot of carries. His volume has been good. He still is not involved on the goal line or in the passing game nearly as much as you'd like, but he's gotten touchdowns in back-to-back weeks in the passing game. And I think that at some point that is going to count for something. Is he going to be a dominant player? Probably not. But is he at least worthy of being in your lineup probably every single week? Yeah, I think so at this point. Yeah, I think he's solid RB2 flex guy at this point. That's probably about right. Sam Darnold, five rushing touchdowns, something or nothing. You know, honestly, I'm going to say nothing at this point. He he. We know he's a talented guy. He, I'm excited to see him continue this in this offense, being away from the Jets organization, um, to kind of see where it goes. I also kind of think it's a little bit of a result of the kind of the spread offense that Rule bring Matt Rule brings there, kind of spreads the ball out, you know, opens him up, and gives him some opportunities and some lanes to maybe scramble a little bit. But I I don't I don't think it's that surprising. I mean, we know he's got the talent. I think it's that it's rushing touchdowns. I I wouldn't be surprised at the passing touchdowns because I've always thought he had a good arm, but I don't remember him running like this in college or with the Jets or any of these other things. So the fact that he's at least looked decent enough to scramble and get into the end zone five times, you know, okay, fine. It's an added bonus more than anything else. I don't think these rushing touchdowns are going to be continuing at this peak. I think right now he'd basically be on uh, or on record pace to basically be in the 20s by the time we're all said and done, which would be ridiculous as a quarterback. But can he be an effective enough runner to give you some value? Sure. I, I don't see why there would be a problem in that at all. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Chris Carson splitting carries with Alex Collins. Something or nothing? You know, honestly, I don't think I'm too 100% worried about this yet. I think it's a result a little bit, um, and I think I note this a little bit too when we talk later about Miles Sanders and Gaskins, but, you know, the extra the extra game in the regular season this year, people are kind of going to that two-headed monster a lot more and more. Um, I mean, you look at the Green Bay game, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, the I think it's just effective. They're just trying to keep people healthy throughout the year and uh, limit some some blows and carries that they're maybe not needing at that time. I, I'm not super concerned about it yet, but if obviously it continues for a couple weeks, then I might start questioning it. But at this point, I'm not super concerned. The Seahawks looked like they kind of got it going in the second half yesterday, which production-wise you'd like to see. But they had just come off playing the Titans and the Vikings, two defenses that have been absolutely shelled all year to this point. So it was surprising to see that the Seahawks somehow sprung to life after halftime, basically, and yet not involve Chris Carson in any dominant way. He was inefficient. His carries got stuffed constantly, so I don't know if they're going out of heavy run packages with him. 
I don't see a lot of creativity. They're able to move the football a little bit better than they had, but this is not the explosive offense of last year so far, and he's not involved in the passing game, which I think he was at Oklahoma State running back. I don't know if you could play running back at Oklahoma State and not catch five (laughs) passes a game. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know the last one that hasn't been. I I just don't get where this offense is. I don't get where his usage is because he's been such a reliable RB2 for years, and right now – I'm almost ready to press the panic button with how they're using him, how inefficient he is. I don't know if he's got some lingering injury, but it just, it's not been there so far. And unless he's basically scoring a touchdown to salvage your week, I I just don't know about his consistency right now. It's really starting to bother me. Although the number one thing is Ethan predicting Chris Carson's going to have a good week means he's going to have a shitty week. (laughs) That's been my problem so far. Jinxed. Calvin Ridley, less than 100 yards receiving each week so far. Um, definitely something I, you know, people drafted this guy super high and were expecting him to have a big year, especially after the year he had last year. But we talked about it earlier. That offensive line is so terrible. Matt Ryan is not the quarterback that he was once and he's aging. So we see it with the Pittsburgh Steelers. We see it with some of these aging quarterbacks. You start getting pressure up the middle on them. They can't, they're not as mobile as they once were. You know, they're dumping the ball off a lot more. I, I, if I'm a Ridley owner, I'm super, super concerned, especially being that I guarantee you, you took him really high. For what was a good passing offense yesterday, and Matt Ryan finished, I think, as the quarterback overall six. I'd have to look back above in our notes here, but he just was not a focal point of the game. Yes, he got a lot of targets. He's still getting a lot of targets. You think that at some point, He's going to draw enough coverage, but I don't know where this Falcons offense went. We expected for the better part of the last few years that at least in garbage time, they'd be able to throw the ball around and just be able to score points. And for right now, I just don't see it. I don't know where this has gone. If he's just getting locked down and getting so much attention that they have to go away, but then why aren't they targeting Kyle Pitts? This is another confusing team. Because you drafted Mike Davis, you drafted Calvin Ridley, you drafted Kyle Pitts, all to be starters, and fucking Cordero Patterson's the leading guy in the clubhouse. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know what that offense is about. I really don't. All right, let's talk about the two miles in this case. Gaskin and Sanders, you alluded to it earlier. Nine carries over two weeks for Miles Sanders, basically not involved in the passing game. And only one week with 10-plus carries for Miles Gaskin so far. He only had 30 yards coming in from yesterday. Something or nothing that these two are basically not used by their teams. You know, I think it's something because as a as an owner of either one of these guys, you just don't really know. I mean, you can't feel confident starting either one of them at this point unless you don't have a choice like me. But, But really... Again, I think you'd think about the extra game this year, some of these offenses that just really haven't shown the ability to click and to really flow. And I think um, Miami's obviously one of them, and so as a result of their production. So I guess, again, as owners of either one of these guys, I'd be concerned because you would hope that they could be at least RB2s or flex plays, but... I don't know that I'd be confident in that right now. Realist, 
I, I would agree on the whole thing. Miles Sanders, for whatever reason, they just don't want to use him. I, he was supposed to be Saquon Light. They drafted him in the second round, and they don't get him any passing production, which was supposed to be one of the, the assets to him, and that at least they would start running the football. And you thought after all of the outcry in Philadelphia from uh, the Dallas game, uh, him getting two carries for like 27 yards, and then they just didn't run the football at all the rest of the game, that they would run the football more against a Chiefs team that was giving up tons of yards on the ground. Shorten the game, keep Pat Mahomes on the sideline, keep them out of rhythm, and they still didn't run the football. I I don't understand it. I called Nick Sirianni the dumb guy for, I don't know, how many months in the preseason and the midseason, whatever, leading up to the actual season. And I just don't understand what the strategy of this team is. Jalen Hurts has been effective. They were throwing the ball all around the yard yesterday because they were playing the Chiefs. But come on, you you got to be able to establish the run at least a little bit to open up the rest of it. I know you've been able to do some things here and there, but gosh, these are just two absolutely disappointments in fantasy so far this year. I, I just don't understand it at all. And then finally, I alluded to it earlier, but 79 yards in the last two weeks for C.D. Lamb, something or nothing. I'm still going to say nothing at this point. Again, a lot of talent on this team. You know, we look at Amari Cooper had a down week last week. He came back and showed up again this week. I I think it's he's going to get his. He's got way too much talent in a very good offense that um, I, I wouldn't be super concerned at this point in time. I don't know. I think it is something and nothing. I think the Cowboys are going to throw less than we thought they were, which was the onus for making him such a high pick, partly because the Dallas defense isn't nearly as bad as they were last year. They were historically bad last year, but they seem to have better players on this year's team, or at least guys that have stepped up, made the second year jump. They've been without their top pass rusher and still putting up actually productive defensive plays. And they can run the football effectively because they've gotten better offensive line play. They're not playing from behind, so they don't need to throw as much. I just don't see the Dallas pass catchers being what we thought they were going to be because we were spoiled a little bit by the 400-plus yards out of Dak Prescott for five weeks last season before he got hurt. All right, so before we close out, pick up streams, stashes, and drops. Top pickups, these are under 50% owned, but should be. Dawson Knox, four touchdowns in four games and at least eight points in the last three games. Latavius Murray looks to be the lead back for the Ravens at the moment. He hasn't been particularly effective, but it's still the lead back on a team, and it's better than nothing, which has been what you're getting out of some of your running backs so far this season. Darnell Mooney, I put him on the drop candidate list, as I have with a bunch of guys, Mike Gusecki, Uh, Ronald Jones is still on the drop list this week, except that he got at least into the end zone this week. But still, it seems like every time I say to drop somebody, then at least two or three of those guys end up being productive the next week and just prove me wrong. Darnell Mooney, you are now among that. But Justin Fields looked like he had to actually throw a deep ball. That is indicative of where he's at. Sam Darnold, quarterback eight on the year. He's under 50% owned. Daniel Jones, quarterback five on the year under 50% owned. Trey Lance, we said it, almost 25 points and a half in a single half last week. Yes, much of that was aided by one really long touchdown pass, but with the rushing floor, if this guy comes in and becomes the next Justin Herbert, 
because Jimmy Garoppolo went out and he never gets his job back. You may be kicking yourself if you've got a guy that's available right now that you could get with some rushing value. And especially if you're not one of the elite quarterbacks that has been consistent, Kyler or Mahomes, this is a guy to go out and get. Kenny Gainwell, leading running back points for the Philadelphia Eagles so far. He looks like he's going to be very involved in their passing game. So if you're in a PPR setting, that's a guy I would suggest. And A.J. Green, at least 10 points in all of the last three weeks for the Cardinals. Again, I think we talked about it on last Thursday's pod between Ethan and I, that there are probably going to be two primary pass catchers in any one game for the Cardinals. But take a flyer. He might be worth a flex play on a given week. And so far, he's at least been looking healthy and effective for the Cardinals, which is maybe one of the best offenses in football at this point. So might as well. Drops for me this week. These are guys owned at least over 50%, but shouldn't be. Will Fuller. I mean, broken hand, I know that's not going to help, but in a new offense, in a really bad offense, and has not been the guy that uh, was targeted over 10 times a game by Deshaun Watson last year, unless Deshaun gets traded there all of a sudden, I just don't see him as being a fantasy viable guy, especially in redraft. Michael Carter, this is a redraft one because I don't think he should be dropped in Dynasty, but... He's just not an effective back right now. He's not going to be the lead guy. He's not getting enough volume to be efficient. He's still not getting a ton of work in the passing game. And despite the Jets' output yesterday, he looks to be maybe the third back on his own team at times. I don't know. They're sticking with a committee approach, as most of these Shanahan teams and disciples do. I just don't like what his output is going to be for the rest of the season right now until we know maybe into next year what this Jets offense is going to look like more long term. Ronald Jones, again, it looked like Leonard Fournette was the guy, I think, yesterday. I think he had 90 yards on like 10 carries, but Ronald Jones did get into the end zone. Don't be fooled. Ronald Jones is still in the doghouse in this one. And if Gio Bernard comes back, I think he's going to fall into the third running back hole on this on this team. Kenyon Drake, we talked about a little bit last week, but if Peyton Barber's the true backup in the Raiders offense and Kenyon Drake is barely used at all, how can you justify keeping him on your team at this point? For a guy that was at least goal line productive last year for the Cardinals, I just don't know why the Raiders gave him such a big contract to basically not play him at all. And then finally, Tyson Williams, a healthy and active for the Ravens. He barely played at all last week against the Lions, and he was not even on the field or uh, active for this game. He is a easy drop for the Ravens' backfield right now. Uh, any other ones that you wanted to add? Uh, no, I do not have any ones that I can think of at this time. So the only other thing I can think of is there are some pretty significant running back injuries so far going on around the league. And I know that I get the nickname as the Handcuff King by my co-host, who loves to tease me about it. But given that we've already missed time with Christian McCaffrey again, we've already missed time with Delvin Cook again, and the fact that Joe Mixon went down and may be missing at least a game or two, he's week to week right now, and David Montgomery, there was rumors that we might get what his MRI result was going to be. It sounds like it's more of a hyperextended knee than him tearing his ACL and out for the season. Thankfully for any David Montgomery owners, he did it after he got you two touchdowns and over a hundred yards on the ground, but still him being out for any length of time, there are a couple of guys behind them that you might suggest. It sounds like Damian Williams got a bone bruise and so he'll be okay, but you might also consider Khalil Herbert in that backfield 
Chris Evans and Samaj P. Ryan for the Bengals, especially if they look like they did against Jacksonville last Thursday night. Those are a couple of names to keep in mind if you are running back light, particularly on your redraft teams. So thank you to all the listeners and Dynasty players. We appreciate you. We will be back again, or at least I will, later in the week. But I do want to say a special thank you to our guest host today. Thank you for being on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm happy we were finally able to make this happen. I definitely want to try and be a little bit more active on it uh, in the future, but definitely excited to be here. Yeah, once life sorts itself out for you, you've got so many things in the uh, fire, so to say. Always busy. Always busy. Life is what happens when you're making other plans. This is true. <laughs> if you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. Also, you can now follow us on Twitter at dydownload2020. Find every episode of the show at dynasty-download.captivate.fm. And, as always, please follow, rate, and review the show so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. It is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM. 